so I think all of us, I know me, um, we, we had a little bit more time in this COVID-19 period to watch TV. And, uh, and one of the things that I watched that I was particularly interested in was The Last Dance, right? This 10-part docu-series all about the life of Michael Jordan in his last season as a Chicago Bull. It was fascinating. There were so many different things that, that I learned from it. Uh, two in particular really stand out, though. One of those is the, the importance of fathers. It's fitting on Father's Day to be thinking about this. But, but one of the things that you notice in Michael Jordan's life, and, and honestly in several of the other players, Steve Kerr um, was one in particular, uh, was the important role that their fathers played in their lives. Uh, Jordan's father was by his side throughout his career until he was killed. Um, and, and when he died, it really shook Michael Jordan to the core. And we just see in, in him the importance of, of fathers and of fatherhood. That's, that's one thing we see. The, the other thing that we, we see that I saw was the importance of motivation when it comes to success in sports. Michael Jordan was a master self-motivator. Uh, it's the reason he was able to achieve so much. It's the reason he was able to sustain his excellence as a basketball player for, for so long. Uh, part, of, part of the way he motivated himself was by taking everything personally. Right? Every time someone did something, every time someone looked at him wrong, every time someone said something negative about him, he would take that as an affront and use it as, as fuel to motivate him in the next game or in the weight room or on the practice court. And, uh, and it got to the point where after 14 years in the NBA, he was actually having to make stuff up to motivate himself, right? If someone, if someone looked at him just across the, the arena, he would automatically give them a motive for looking at him the way that he did so that he would have a reason to play harder, right? And to do better. And so, so it got to the point that he was literally making up his motivation so that he could press on. He was, he was a master motivator. And he needed that motivation because that was the thing that was going to drive his success. It was the reason he was going to improve year upon year, game after game, day after day. And, and, and we're not self-motivated as Christians, but motivation really does play an important part when it comes to success and endurance, not just in sport, but in the Christian life, right? We, we are called to run hard after Christ, to, to, as we're going to see in our passage this morning, make every effort to do so. And the only way that we're going to run hard after Christ and run hard for Christ is if we remember why it is that we're running. And Peter, the apostle, knew this. It's, it's really at the heart of why he wrote his letter in 2 Peter to the church. And Peter had come to the end of his life. He was, he was at the end, knew the putting off of his body was going to be soon. And so he wrote to the church to remind them of the truths of the gospel because he wanted to motivate them to run hard after Christ after he was gone. And to run hard after Christ, even in the face of great opposition that they were facing from false teachers within the church. He, he wanted to see them grow in grace and in godliness and to, to see that grace and knowledge of Christ grow in them year after year, day after day. And so he, he wrote to them 
and reminded them of the, the grace that they had received in the gospel. That's what we see in, in verses one through four that we looked at last week. He wrote to remind them of the truth that in the gospel, Jesus had graciously granted them, has graciously granted us, right? All that we need to live for him now and with him forever. And in our passage this morning, he moves from what Christ has done for us to what we're called to do in response. He, he calls the church, he calls us to run hard after Christ. And even as he does that, he reminds us of why it's worth all the effort. And so let's, let's look together this morning at 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an inheritance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ." So as we look at these verses, I think the, the main idea that Peter is trying to drive home to us in the, this passage is this. Intense gospel-driven effort in the Christian life. Intense gospel-driven effort in the Christian life ensures our effectiveness for Christ in the world. Intense gospel-driven effort in the Christian life ensures our effectiveness for Christ in the world and assures our entrance into his eternal kingdom. Intense gospel-driven effort in the Christian life ensures our effectiveness for Christ in the world and assures our entrance into his eternal kingdom. And that sentence is going to form the outline for the sermon this morning. So, so we start with point number one. Point number one, intense gospel-driven effort in the Christian life. So look again at, at verse five. Peter says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Peter here is calling for intense gospel-driven effort. And so what I want to do is, is just think about these verses by considering the nature of this effort. First, I want us to see that it's a gospel-driven effort. He says, for this very reason. Well, what's the reason, right? The reason connects what he's saying to what he's just said there in verse Verses three and four, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who's called us to his own glory and excellence by which he's granted to us his precious 
and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. The reason that Peter is speaking of here is is this truth that in the gospel, Jesus has graciously given these Christians everything they need to live for him now and to live with him forever, right? That's what we thought about last week. It's only because of the gospel, it's only in light of the gospel that we're able to do what Peter calls us to do in these verses. It's supplementing the thing that they already have, right? Faith, faith in the gospel. If you're here this morning or you're you're joining us virtually and you know yourself not to be a Christian, I I wanna just speak to you briefly for a moment. First, I wanna welcome you. I'm so glad that you've chosen to to come here or to to join with us online. Uh, I, I want you to hear this very, very clearly. As I say it, faith in the Christian life is the thing that comes first. Faith comes first. This is the thing that makes Christianity different than any other world religion. We, we don't run hard. We don't make every effort to earn God's favor. We actually run hard. We make every effort because we already have earned God's favor. The, 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 the call to us as Christians is to run hard because of what Christ has done for us. The call to you as a non-Christian, someone who knows yourself not to be a Christian, is not to run hard. Rather, it's to repent and to believe. It's to turn from your sin and to trust in Christ. If you you want to to please God, if you want to know God's favor, it's not, not something you're ever going to be able to earn. You can't run hard enough, you can't run fast enough, you can't run long enough to earn the favor of God. Rather, it has to be earned for you and praise God it has. God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into the world to live the life that you couldn't live and to die the death that you deserve to die for your sin. And if you turn from your sin and you trust in him, you receive all the blessings, all the favor of God, and that then in turn will lead you to want to live a life that honors Christ. Faith comes first. And so the call to you this morning is to turn, to turn from your sin and to trust in Christ, to repent and to believe and to do it today. We, we, we live in this world where I think increasingly we're coming to grips with our mortality. We recognize with, with COVID-19 that life is short, that we don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. You don't know whether or not you're gonna have an opportunity tomorrow to repent and believe. And so I wanna encourage you to repent and believe today. And with every moment after this that God gives you to run hard after Christ. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, this is a, a wonderful reminder for us as well, isn't it? We pursue Christ not to earn anything from him, but rather because he's already given everything to us, right? We run hard to take hold of what's already ours. He's given us grace and mercy in abundance, verse two. He's, he's given us all we need for life and godliness, verse three. And he promises to make us like him that we might live with him forever, Verse four, and it's for that reason and that reason alone that he calls us to make every effort. 
right? This effort that Peter is calling us to is first and foremost a gospel-driven effort. But second, it's also an intense effort. And we see this in the language Peter uses there in verse five and also down in verse 10. In verse five, he says, make every effort to supplement your faith, every effort. In verse 10, he says, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. Right? There is to be a, a zeal and energy and intensity that, that marks Christians as we seek to grow in Christ-likeness. Peter is, is saying that the Christian life, to use a sports analogy, requires some serious spiritual sweat. But again, the, the energy, the intensity, it doesn't come from a drive to prove ourselves to God. No, it comes from a drive to take hold of what's already been graciously and generously granted to us and promised to us by Christ. So have you, you ever been at a birthday party, maybe, maybe Christmas, where you've seen the excitement on a little kid's face when they get the box of Legos for, for the gift? If you, if you have, then you've probably also seen the look of determination on that little kid's face once they get that box ripped open and all the Legos out on the floor and they're trying to figure out how to put that whole thing together, right? Legos, they really are a fascinating gift, aren't they? You get them, you, you get the box, and on the box there's a picture of this amazing thing, right? This, this spaceship, this sailboat, this whatever it is. And you know that inside that box is everything that you need to make that spaceship or that boat or whatever else it is that, that you want, the race car. But, but you actually have to do work to enjoy the gift, right? You actually have to, to put the pieces together, to do the hard work of, of putting it all together to truly be able to enjoy the gift. There's a joy that comes in receiving it, but it's a joy that then leads you to a lot of hard work so that you can truly and fully enjoy it, right? Well, well, well the, the gospel's a little bit like those Legos, right? In the gospel, we've been given the greatest gift in the world. We've been given all that we need for life and godliness. All the pieces are there, right? We've been given the, the promise that if we pursue Christ, one day we're going to be like him and live with him forever, right? That's the picture on the box, but first, there's work to be done, hard work, right? And if we're convinced that the gift that Christ has given us in the gospel is all that it promises to be, we're gonna work with far more determination than any little kid with a box of Legos in front of them, right? To, to take hold of the gift that's already been given to us. Right, Peter is, is calling us to make growth in Christ-likeness the thing that we give our, our greatest effort to. So last week, if you were here, I asked you the question, what's the great aim of your life? We, we saw in, in, in Paul, we saw even in, in, in the words of Peter that, that the great aim of our lives is to be to know Jesus Christ. Well, in light of what Peter says here, I wanna ask another question. What is the greatest effort in your life given to? What's the greatest effort in your life given to? Is it given to growing in Christ-likeness? I, I ask that because we live in this world that tells us we ought to put all of our effort elsewhere. And, and we're tempted to do exactly that, aren't we? We're, we're tempted to pursue advancement in work 
with a far greater vigor than we pursue advancement in holiness. We're tempted to spend far more time in the gym, right, exercising our physical muscles than we spend in the word and prayer exercising our spiritual muscles. We're tempted to put far more effort into the creation of our Instagram posts than we are the cultivation of Christian character. We're tempted to put far more energy into the tending of our lawns and gardens than we are to the tending of our souls. And those are just a few of the things that we're tempted and the world tells us where to pour our energy into. And friends, I think we all know that pull. I I certainly know it in my own heart. And and these words here in 2 Peter are a gift from God to us intended to remind us that while those things are of some value, right, emphasis there on the some, growth in Christ-likeness is of far, far, far greater value. It's worthy of intense effort, of more effort than we give to anything else in our lives. What is the greatest effort in your life given to? Peter's calling us to give it all to growth in Christ likeness. It's an intense effort. And then finally, it's an effort of addition. Peter here is is calling us to supplement, to add to our faith. Right, to take the, the faith that we have and the promises that we find here in verses three and four and to add to it seven different virtues. And he lists them using this, this rhetorical device that works in a stair-step fashion, right? So it's add to your faith virtue, to your virtue knowledge, to your knowledge self-control, to your self-control steadfastness, and on and on and on. And and because of that, it can be tempting to look at that list and think that each one of these virtues somehow represents a level in the Christian life, like like a video game, right? To to think that if if we pass, if we want to get to the next level, we've got to pass the first level, right? So if if I want to add knowledge, I've got to first add virtue. If I, I want to add love, I've got to first add brotherly affection and godliness and and so on and so on. And, and, and then it's to somehow think that love, right, is the, the, the highest level, right, the one that we get to last. Uh, that's not at all what he's intending here. The, the stair step is, is merely that. It's a, it's a rhetorical device. It's a way of listing things so that, that you can get them all out. And so he's not giving us a series of steps here. Rather, it's, it's actually better to think of, of this list as like a list of ingredients, Right, a recipe that, that comes together to make a beautiful Christian life. And that's what this list is intended to do. And so what are those ingredients? Well, we wanna walk through each of them very briefly here um, and, and, and consider each so that we know what they are because I think it's easy to read this list and to assume we immediately understand what's being said or to look at it and go like, what on earth does he mean by virtue? And so let's, let's take just a minute and, and walk through each very, very briefly. So the first thing he tells us to add is virtue. And, and virtue is, is moral excellence or a virtuous character, if you will, that comes through obedience to God's word, right? So it's, it's, it's an excellence of character that comes through obedience. And, and this is an aspect of Christ's nature. If you look back up, 
at verse three, the very last word of verse three there, it talks about how Jesus has called us through the knowledge of him or given, or given us these things through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. That word excellence is the exact same word as the word virtue. And they're translated differently in the ESV, but they're the exact same Greek word. And so, so excellence is a characteristic, a trait of, of Christ. And, and we see Jesus' excellence in his perfect moral character, right? His perfect obedience to the Father. So, so the call to put on virtue is a call to put on obedience that leads to a, a virtuous life. We add virtue to our faith by regularly coming to God's word, asking the question, what would you have me do? How would you have me live? And then seeking and laboring by his grace to do exactly what he says. So that's the first virtue. The second virtue is knowledge, right? This is the, the knowledge of God, the knowledge of Christ that we talked about last week. It's a knowledge of his will, of his ways, of his works. And since we talked a good bit about it in last week's sermon, I'm not gonna say much here other than to just point you to that sermon uh, if you weren't here and, and ask you to go and, and listen there. Um, we talked a lot about what it means to add knowledge to our faith. The third virtue we're told to add is self-control. This is the ability to say no to our sinful desires and to say yes to God's will. Simple definition of self-control. We use that with our kids. Um, and, and I wanna slow down on this one and just spend a little bit of extra time here uh, because I think this is a, a difficult virtue to cultivate in the world that we live in. Honestly, I, I think I would go as far to say that self-control may be the least encouraged. Certainly, it's the least celebrated virtue in America. We, we live in this world. We, we breathe the air of a society where overindulgence and overconsumption of everything from food to media and, and, and all in between is, is no longer seen as sinful but rather it's accepted as normal, right? we, we live in a world where binge, that used to be a negative term, we now use positively, right? I, I binge watched these shows. I, I couldn't help myself and I binged out on that bag of Oreos, right? That's the way that we talk. We, we've normalized something that the Bible says is not normal. And, and because of that, we've lost the reality of what is to be normal in the Christian life, right? In, in the Christian life, it's supposed to be normal to turn off the TV and go to bed when you really wanna know what's gonna happen next, but you know you've gotta go to work in the morning. It, it, it's, it's normal in the Christian life to limit your time on social media. It's normal in the Christian life to limit yourself to one plate of food or one slice of cake. It's normal in the Christian life to turn off the computer when you know you're feeling tempted. It's normal in the Christian life to hold your tongue when you're upset or angry, to not give vent to your frustration. It's normal in the Christian life to refuse to let bitterness and jealousy eat at you from the inside out. We, we live in a world where it is not considered normal to say no to our desires. And yet, we worship a God who calls us to make saying no to our desires a normal part 
of our Christian lives. So for us, adding self-control just begins with this reminder that not all of our desires are good desires. And many of our desires are sinful and even the good ones can get tainted with sin. And so we're to, to control them, to examine them, to seek to rein them in. They're not to control us. We don't live for our desires. Our desires serve us and ultimately we serve Christ. We have to add self-control. We're also called here to add steadfastness. And steadfastness is, is perseverance. It's perseverance in holding on to the Christian faith, but it's also perseverance in pressing in to Christ-likeness. So we have to hold tightly to our hope. We have to hold tightly to our faith and we have to persevere in our pursuit of holiness to not grow weary in doing good. That's what it means to, to make every effort, right, when it comes to growing in Christ-likeness. Next, we're to add godliness. Whereas excellence, right, was obedience, if you will, to God's commands, this is actually conformity to God's character. It's seeking by God's grace to display something of his patience, of his kindness, of his gentleness, of his compassion, of his graciousness, of his mercy, right? And as impossible as that sounds, I have to remind you of, of verse three, right? His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and, exact same word, godliness and all the resources that we need to mirror and to mimic the character of God as much as we can have been given to us in the gospel. And so we're to add godliness. Sixth, we're to add brotherly affection. Right? This is the familial devotion, if we, you will, that, that should characterize the church. We're a family. As, as we talked about so much last year, we're one family. As, as Andy Crouch puts it, I think it's so helpful, the church is our first family, right? It's the family that gets priority over all other families because it's our eternal family. Because in the church, we have a bond that goes far deeper and is far stronger than even blood, right? We're a family, and because of that, we're to show brotherly affection to one another, and, and this really is a timely reminder, isn't it? I mean, you just think about we're in this time where thoughts about viruses and political and social issues can really quickly divide brothers and sisters in Christ. And in this moment, we need to be reminded that we're brothers, that we're sisters, that we're family. We need to be reminded in Christ, we share a bond that's greater than any physical or ideological bond. And we need to be reminded that our, our posture toward one another is to be one of brotherly affection in which we seek to understand and to share in one another's burdens, to, to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice. And so we need to labor, especially in this time, to add brotherly affection to our faith. And then last, the, the greatest of these virtues, it's why he lists it last, it's why it's at the top of the staircase, is love, right? Peter wants us 
to be a people marked by love, love for God, love for our neighbor, whoever they might be, right? This is a love that extends beyond the bounds of the church and out into the world. And then it's, it's helpful to see here, it's a virtue, not merely an emotion. He's not telling us to, to feel love for everyone, for our neighbor, for, for God. No, he's, he's telling us to love. There's, there's action involved. It's a love that serves, a love that sacrifices, a love that listens, a love that cares about every single image bearer that the Lord brings into our paths. It's a lot. It's, it's a whole lot. And so let me, let me pause here and, and, and just, I hope, maybe provide an illustration that, that'll help as you seek to process all that I've just said. So, so this list from Peter reminds me of the last day of school each year when I was in high school. So I was an athlete, I played basketball, I ran cross country, and, uh, and at the end of every single school year, our coaches would come to us with a packet, right? Each sport, we'd get a packet, usually a big old thick thing, like 20, 25 pages, and what was in that packet was our workouts for the summer. So coaches in Texas weren't allowed to do workouts with us, so we had to do everything on our own. And so what they would do is they would put it all together, give us everything that we needed, and it was so overwhelming, right? You get that on the last day of school when you're ready for summer, and you look at this monster packet with all these workouts and all these different things that you have to do, and you're like, oh my goodness, how on earth am I gonna do this? And, and thankfully, because I, I would get overwhelmed, our coaches were always so helpful to to remind us of a few things. And they would tell us, you know, we're not asking you to do this all at once. We're not asking you to do it all by yourself. Find a teammate or two, work out with them this summer. And remember, improvement is a process. Just take it one day at a time, put one foot in front of the next. And by the end of the summer, you're gonna be amazed at how far you've come. And so, so that's, what, that's what I would do. That's what we would do. And, and, and honestly, the improvement year over year was, was amazing. And, uh, and, and it was always shocking. And, and so I, I want us to, to understand that when it comes to a list of to-dos like this one in Scripture, the, the temptation is the exact same, right? To get overwhelmed, to look at it and go like, how on earth am I supposed to do all this? In those moments, we need to remember that God's not asking us to do it all at once. Like growth in the Christian life is a process, right? None of us is going to wake up tomorrow and be able to check the perfect box next to every single one of these virtues. It's not gonna happen. It's never gonna happen in this life, right? But, but these things are, as Peter says in verse eight, to be ours and increasing, right? We're to be progressing day by day in the Christian life, putting one foot in front of the other, seeking by his grace to add these virtues to our faith. We, we also need to remember that God's not calling us to do it all by ourselves. But he's given us, he tells us, everything that we need for life and godliness. Most of all, he's given us his spirit. We have God himself at work in us to will and to do his good pleasure. He's given us his, his word 
right? The, the mirror that shows us the places that we need to grow. He's given us the church, right? He's given us brothers and sisters to come alongside us, to encourage us, to hold us accountable, to push us to grow. And he's also given us his very great and precious promises to motivate us to keep pressing on. And, and that's what Peter now turns our attention to in verses 8 through 11. And that's where we want to turn our attention in the, the little bit of time that we have left this morning. So, so point number two. Okay, point number one was long. These are shorter, I promise. Point number two, gospel-driven effort ensures our fruitfulness for Christ in this life. Gospel-driven effort ensures our fruitfulness for Christ in this life. Look again at verses eight and nine. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Forever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. There's a promise in here. It's a little bit hard to see, but it's there because it's a, it's a promise that actually comes as a warning. It's like mom saying, if you don't eat your peas or if you don't eat your vegetables, you will not grow, right? The, the positive way to say that is if you eat your vegetables, you will grow, right? But, but Peter's doing the exact same thing. He's, he's providing a, a promise by way of warning because he knows the temptation of our hearts. He knows the, the temptation to, to kind of slide by, if you will, in the Christian life. And so he, he gives us this promise as a warning. And in it, he, he uses two words that, that for the original hearers would have called to mind very specific things, right? So, so the first word there is ineffective, right? For if these things are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective. Well, that, that word would have brought to mind basically what I think of as, as a lazy bum, right? A guy who is able to work, should be working, and yet you find him not out working, but rather in the marketplace wandering around just having a good old time. Now you think of, 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 of Aesop's fables. In Texas, we say Aesop, but it's Aesop, I think, rightly pronounced, uh, with the, the, the ants and the grasshopper. Right? And, and the grasshopper is, is the person we're to have in mind here. The, the ants are working diligently. They're preparing for the winter. And what's the grasshopper doing? He's out playing and having a good old time, living it up. And then when winter comes, he's not ready. Right? Well, well, no Christian wants to be the grasshopper. Right? Scripture actually calls us to be the ants. Right? Go to the book of Proverbs. You'll find that over and over again. No Christian wants to be ineffective in their knowledge of Christ. And so he warns us here. The next word he uses is unfruitful, right? And, and this brings to mind the picture of an orchard where you've got all these wonderful fruit trees full of fruit, just busting at the seams. And then there in the middle, there's this one tree that's just as dead as it can be, right? You see fruitful and you see fruitless, Right? That's the picture that, that he wants in our minds. Right? No one wants to be that barren tree in the orchard of God's church. No Christian wants to be unfruitful in the knowledge of Christ. And 
And if those pictures weren't sobering enough, right, he elaborates on those images with a third word picture there in verse nine. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. And the picture here is not just of that, that of, of someone who's nearsighted, right? It's someone who's short-sighted. It's a picture of someone who's living for now without an eye to the future. It's, it's the grasshopper again, but it's worse, right? It's, it's not just a lack of foresight that Peter's describing here. It's also a lack of hindsight, right? Peter's saying that a Christian, and, and, and this is important, Peter is saying that a Christian who isn't diligently seeking to grow in godliness is at best a Christian who's somehow forgotten the gospel and at worst not a Christian at all. It's a serious warning. It's a, it's a call for us to take stock of our Christian lives. It's a call to ask the question, are these qualities that Peter's describing mine, are they increasing? Am I growing in godliness or have I grown stagnant in my Christian life? Am I so focused on what's in front of my face that I've completely grown cold to these greater spiritual realities? Well, if the answer is yes for you this morning, it's a call to open your eyes, to get to work, and to start making every effort to grow in Christ. So this is a warning, and yet on the flip side, it's a promise, and I want us to see that as well. It's a promise that should give us a lot of encouragement, especially if we are laboring by God's grace to grow in Christ-likeness. Right, the promise here is the promise that if we're making every effort to grow, if these things are ours and they're increasing, if we're, we're moving forward day by day, step by step, putting one foot in front of the other, the promise is it will be fruitful and effective in the knowledge of Christ. We'll be a faithful servant. We'll be a fruitful tree. I, I, I want to bring this out this morning because I know that for many of us, there's always this lingering question in the back of our heads as Christians, right? Am I, am I really honoring Jesus? Am I really doing any good for the sake of the gospel? Am I effective? Am I fruitful? Am I going to get to the end of my life and hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant, or am I going to hear, depart from me? for I never knew you. And, and, and it's, it's, it's a question we have because we don't get a report card in the Christian life, right? You don't get a, a weekly update on your progress, on how you're doing, and so it can be hard to see the, the progress that's being made. It can be hard to see whether or not you're being fruitful and effective in the knowledge of Christ. We don't get a report card, but we do get passages like this to encourage us to press on. And so we really need to hear what Peter's saying. We need to hear him say that if you are seeking by God's grace to grow in godliness, if you're laboring to add these virtues to your life, Jesus is being honored. Christ is bearing fruit. He's pleased with you. He's looking with, at you with eyes full of love saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. 
So brothers and sisters, this is a warning, but it's also a promise, one intended to keep us pressing on, moving forward, taking step after step, laboring to grow, knowing that in the Lord our labor's not in vain. We can be fruitful and effective for Christ. And and that brings us finally to to the third point this morning, and that's this. Gospel-driven effort assures our entrance into Christ's eternal kingdom. Gospel-driven effort assures our entrance into Christ's eternal kingdom. So we go from a warning that is a promise to now just a very, very clear promise of God. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So again, Peter reiterates this call to to a zealous and diligent effort in the Christian life. Like we're we're not to presume on our calling and election, right? We're not to, to rest on our laurels in the Christian life to say, well, God has elected me, therefore I don't have to do anything. Not at all. Rather, we're to be all the more diligent to make our calling and election sure. And and the reason that he holds out for doing that here in these verses should be the greatest motivation that we have for diligently pursuing godliness. It's, It's the assurance that comes to us by doing so. We're to be all the more diligent to make our calling and election sure. This means that we can actually be more and more sure of our calling, that we can actually be more and more sure of our election. And as we we seek to grow in godliness, we can actually grow in assurance. Like a a, a player, a basketball player, we'll just keep using basketball here, who who puts in the work in the off-season, right? Does all the hard work, does all the the laboring, the drills, and all of those things. When he comes to to practice, when everybody gets back together, his confidence is going to be through the roof because he's put in all the, the, the hard work. Right? The same kind of thing is true, but it's not a confidence in ourselves when it comes to the Christian life. Right? It's a confidence in Christ. It's a confidence that, that he's indeed called us to himself. A confidence that he's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. A confidence that we're slowly but surely becoming partakers of his divine nature. And, and that assurance is even greater because of the promise that's here. Right? It's the promise that as we practice these things, as we pursue godliness, if they're ours and, and they're increasing, if we're making every effort to grow in godliness, he says, we will never fall. Right? That doesn't mean that we're not gonna sin. It doesn't mean that we're not gonna struggle. It doesn't mean that there are not gonna be moments in our lives and times in our lives where we aren't pursuing Christ the way that we ought. But what it does mean is that as we run hard towards Christ and towards his kingdom, there is is nothing, nothing that's gonna knock us off of that path, right? We may trip, we may stumble, but we will never fall. 
And that means that our entrance into Christ's eternal kingdom is guaranteed, right? And that's exactly what, what Peter says there in verse 11. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In this way, right, in this way, as you make every effort, as these qualities are yours and increasing, as you're all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, as you are pursuing growth and godliness, what he's saying here is that in God's wisdom, our experience of assurance, your experience, your confidence that you are a Christian is, is intertwined with your diligence to confirm that you actually are a Christian, right? So, so our, our effort is actually a means by which God grants us assurance. That's how he's, he's worked it out. So our experience of assurance in this life is dependent, at least in part, upon our diligence. He also reminds us here, though, that that, that entrance, as much as it, it assures us it's not an entrance that's, that's, or that our pursuit, as much as it assures us, it doesn't earn our entrance into the kingdom, right? Notice the word there, it's provided. Again, our, our, our effort doesn't earn us entrance. I wanna say that over and over again. It's the means by which we're assured of our entrance. Our entrance is provided, and not only is it provided, it's richly provided. Right, that word provided is actually the exact same word as the word supplement in verse five. We're to make every effort to supplement our faith, to, to, to provide these things, to add them to our faith. And if we do that, as we do that, we have the guarantee that Christ is going to, they added a word to it, Peter added a word, richly, abundantly provide. Right, when we, and as we give Christ all that we have, we do so knowing that in the end, he promises to actually give us far more than we actually deserve. We're, we're to be all the more diligent to make our calling and election sure because Christ not only promises to preserve us as we labor, but he actually provides us with a lavish reward at the end of those labors. What a, what a blessed assurance we have. As we seek to grow, we will be effective. We will be fruitful. As we seek to grow, we will have a greater assurance that Christ is gonna persevere us to the end. As we seek to grow, we have a greater assurance that when we get to the end, we're gonna hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in to the joy, the abundant joy of your Father. And so as, as Peter calls us very strongly to pursue Christ-likeness, he reminds us of the incredible promises of Christ that are the motivation, they're the, the fuel for the fire of our perseverance in pursuing Christ. We pursue Christ-likeness with every fiber of our being because of all that Christ has given and because of all that he promises. And that's what Peter wants us to see here. Motivation, it is, it is so, so important when it comes to giving a sustained effort in anything. 
Jordan, again, was a master self-motivator. It was the reason he was able to play at such a high level. He played 14 seasons in the NBA uh, before his second retirement um, and, and played almost every game. Um, he, he was an all-star all 14 years. Uh, the man was able to do a lot, and it was because he was able to, to motivate himself, to be a better player, to work harder, to give more. And he would motivate himself even if it meant making up the reasons to keep pressing forward. Well, brothers and sisters, when it comes to motivation for giving our all in the Christian life, for running hard after Christ, we don't have to make anything up. Christ has given us all the motivation that we need. He's given us all that we need for life and godliness. He's given us his very great and precious promises. And when we grasp those things as we ought, we're gonna gladly give everything that we have to run hard after him. And so that's my prayer for us this morning, that we would grasp these promises and that we would run hard after Christ. So with that, let me pray. Father, we, we give you thanks and we give you praise for your very great and precious promises. We thank you that you have given us all that we need for life and godliness in Christ and in the gospel. We, we thank you that you promise that as we pursue Christ, we will be fruitful and effective for him. We thank you for the promise that as we pursue Christ, we will never fall, but an entrance into your kingdom will be richly provided for us. Oh, Father, we pray that that would lead us this morning and for the rest of our lives to run hard after Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.